A recipe for a good day brought to you by Little General Convenience Stores, your neighborhood store. Why fight the lines at the big box chains when Little General Convenience Stores has what you need? Selling only the best quality brands like Gorelick Farms, Boston Salads, Prepared Foods, KM, and Purdue. Little General also sells lottery, tobacco products, and yes, of course, your stop for your daily newspapers. Weekly specials change every Monday, so check online at littlegeneral.com for this week's specials. Plus, LowGeneral.com is the place to go for the delicious recipes you heard here on a recipe for a good day. So whether you're picking up food or products for your home or if you're looking for food or coffee on the go, shop your neighborhood store. Little General Convenience Stores, open eight days a week. for a good day Wednesday. That means all we are talking food for the next hour. Brought to you by Little General Convenience Stores. You know it as your convenience store with more. And they are open, as they say, eight days a week. And that does include today. Uh, what we have for you is a wonderful world of casseroles on today's program. We'll have casserole 101 coming to you this hour, and of course, our specials and Reynolds Wrap and Seasonings Greetings, all part of today's little general program. Uh, it's so eclectic as we move through, uh, and we're not in the holiday season right now, although it is Valentine's Day today, so a very happy Valentine's Day to you and your significant other. Uh, little general has what you need to stay in love. How about some fudge? Yeah, you're going to get candy? Consider fudge from Wright's Farms. You can always get that at Little General Convenience Stores. Uh, we have uh, a lot of uh, time as we move through these winter months to talk about various food items that aren't geared to a time of the year. Uh, although we talk about comfort foods a lot in the wintertime. So I want to remind you, if there's something or a food area you'd like to hear discussed, uh, you can let us know through email. Or if you'd like any of the recipes we give out on Recipe for a Good Day, again, you can simply email the program, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question from your kitchen or a recipe you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Just email the show at asktheshef at wnri.com. That's asktheshef at wnri.com. All right, now, as we go through the specials here at Little General, reminding you, uh, if you listen on Wednesdays, uh, we give two sets of specials. Because this being Wednesday, Valentine's Day, it is the final day for what would be last week's specials. Tomorrow starts our specials for next week's special. So we give two. So if you listen on Wednesday, um, 
you are able to take part in both specials, the last day specials and the new week's specials. And remember, if you do listen on our Saturday replay, which now is um, heard uh, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you missed the Wednesday program, you can always catch it on uh, Saturday at 2 p.m. Uh, you only have the new specials. The last day ones don't account for you. But uh, if you enjoyed your Super Bowl Sunday like I did, that probably means you took part in today. Oh, uh, my goodness. You know what? I might have to I might have to get some more. Today is the last day. Maybe I'll tell Dina it's what I want for Valentine's Day. The chicken wings that were on sale were absolutely fantastic. Uh, I went to Little General, Mandel Hill Road, the location I visited, and my wonderful deli man behind the counter, uh, I ordered three pounds of chicken wings. And he says to me, well, would you like drums, flats, or both? I said, wait a minute. You mean I can have three pounds of Little General chicken wings and they could be all flats? And he says, that is correct. I says, well, I'll have three pounds of all flats. They were magnificent. Um, now, for some, you can marinate or you can don't. Uh, I did uh, a few batches. I marinated some with a garlic parmesan marinade. And I did not marinate some. I wanted to see the difference. And there was a difference. They were, they were both fantastic to the point where there were no leftovers Sunday night to eat on Monday. All three pounds of chicken wings went. Um, I can't remember what Dina ate, but that's what I had. Uh, the marinade process is a good idea. There was just a difference when you were eating uh, the chicken wings. Uh, I did a half-bake and a half air fry. Uh, maybe not exactly half and half. But uh, you can put them in batches, especially if you're going to air fry afterwards. But I set them in, in the oven, uh, 375, 15 minutes. I flipped them, 15 minutes. And so it was a half hour total with a flip in the middle. And then I air fried them to crispen them up for about six to eight minutes. Uh, again, jostling them around in the middle. Uh, and they were absolutely outstanding uh, the various sauces you use so may I recommend taking part in that it is Ash Wednesday and by the way that chicken wing sale two ninety nine a pound and it ends today maybe I'll tell Dana that's what I want for Valentine's Day chicken wings uh, the other item you're going to really want to take part in because it's it's an item that we have not seen too often it is a Lenten season Welcome to Lent. And we will have uh, next week, I'm planning a program for cooking during Lent, specifically for Catholics. Non-meat dishes next week is going to be our focus. Um, But for this week, I want to remind you that the Island Brand Tuna Steaks, it's your last day for the $9.99 a pound special. So you know, moving forward, if you're Catholic, every Friday, you're going to need to cook a meatless dinner. Although we use the word steaks, tuna steaks qualify uh, for a Catholic meals. So $9.99 a pound, cut that in half, and you have two eight-ounce tuna steaks to enjoy for essentially $5 a piece. It's, it's an outstanding price. You can freeze the tuna steaks, so you may want to... Load up on some island tuna steaks today, the final day of the sale, especially seeing how we are in the Lenten season. Okay, the other items.
that is the last day for sale. It's ham off the bone by Hummel Brothers, five ninety nine a pound. My favorite luncheon meat from uh, Hummel Brothers, oven brown turkey breast, eight eighty nine a pound. Boston salads, tuna salad, eight eighty nine a pound, and their seafood salad, seven eighty nine a pound. And again, those sale items come to a close today. Uh, the fudge we were talking about from Mike's from Mike's uh, Chicken Farm, available at Little General Convenience Stores, is fudge for seven ninety nine for an eight ounce package. So if, if you can't get your hands on any chocolates and you're looking for a nice sweet gift for your Valentine today, consider the Fudge by Rights and available at all general locations. So that is the close of the last day sale items. And now we have this week's sale items. So these sale items begin on February 15th, and it lasts uh, through, um, uh, I believe, March 1st. I'll put my glasses on and verify that for you. Uh, yes, no, excuse me. Um, boy, it's so interesting. Without glasses, how 221 can look like a, look like a 301. Uh, but it is um, February 21st. Matter of fact, for the accuracy of the program, I'm just going to leave the glasses on for the remainder of the program. Chicken drumsticks, bone-in chicken drumsticks, uh, terrific for chicken soup. I prefer, although when I'm having a chicken dinner, I prefer white meat. I like to make my soups with dark meat. So if you're looking to make some winter chicken soup while this cold weather is here, the chicken drumsticks, 69 cents a pound, perfect. They're nice, big, meaty drumsticks. With plenty of skin to add plenty of flavor for your soup. And you can also just make them uh, as chicken drumsticks. They're fantastic. But 69 cents a pound. Load up. From Genoa Hot Sweet Capicola on sale for seven eighty nine a pound. Our friends at Hummel Brothers continues. Smoked turkey breast, eight eighty nine a pound. From Cam, the old time Franks, four ninety nine for a twelve ounce package. And from Krakus, imported ham for only five eighty nine a pound. Now the two featured items this week at sale at Little General starting on Thursday the fifteenth through uh, the twenty first of February. Is the top round steak for five ninety nine a pound, and top round roast for five forty nine a pound. Wonderful tender meats there by Low General Convenience Stores. Top round steak five ninety nine a pound. Top round roast five forty nine a pound. In addition, we were talking about London season. How about some crab salad for five ninety nine a pound from Zenas? Boston Salad's offering this week is egg salad for six eighty nine a pound at all Low General locations. Uh, back to more fish for the Lenten season, and uh, I really want to tip my little general cap to little general convenience stores for adding seafood uh, this um, this year. Salmon portions seven ninety eight for an eight ounce package, and whole milk five ninety nine a gallon, half and half cream for forty nine a quart. All part of the sale items that start on the 15th and run through the 21st of February. Uh, We are going to get into the casserole world in a moment. Meanwhile, folks, another message from our sponsor, Low General Convenience Stores. Recipe for a good day brought to you by Little General Convenience Stores with locations for your shopping needs throughout the Blackstone Valley. Two-in-one socket, Manville Road and Cumberland Hill Road. Great Road, North Smithfield. Chapel Street in Boroughville and Central Avenue in Pawtucket. Always hot, always fresh coffee stations to get your day started. Grab-and-go meals perfectly prepared for you, whether it's for an easy lunch to get you through your work day or to make an easy, satisfying dinner to end your day. And 
course, delicious deli items from top-of-the-line lunch meats to top-of-the-line steak and chicken products. Oh, and of course, always fresh ground hamburg. Stay up to date on each week's sale items by going online at littlegeneral.com, your convenience store with more. Little General, where you always get a smile, a please, and a thank you. Open every day, including today. Proud sponsors of Recipe for a Good Day, Little General Convenience Stores. Welcome back to Little General Convenience Store's recipe for a good day. Glad to have you with us on our casserole edition. Shortly, we'll have our Reynolds wrap-up from Johnny Reynolds. We'll see what his topic is today. But the topic for discussion on the agenda is casseroles. Yes, not to be confused with Tootsie Rolls. Totally different thing. We're talking about casseroles on today's program. Um, Now, casseroles, of course... Is a very broad term, but what makes a casserole a casserole? Well, actually, the name came from the dish it's cooked in. Casserole recipe baked in one dish, served family style. can be loaded with meats or vegetables and served as side dishes. You know what I'm talking about. Thanksgiving, you have the green bean casserole. But then there are other meals in themselves, like tuna noodle casserole or shepherd's pie, probably the most famous casserole in this region. They can even be sweet, custard-based treats like French toast or bread pudding, usually baked in casserole dishes and can be classified as such. So they can usually be made ahead and reheated, perfect for the busiest days and nights. Uh, if you're home on a Sunday and you have absolutely nothing to do, maybe you weren't planning on being home, but you're home, and you have a busy week ahead, nothing wrong with making some casseroles and sticking them in the freezer. Uh, so let's start uh, with one other piece of nugget of information, that casseroles and gratins are not the same. Uh, there is a difference. They're baked in the oven, but gratin is a special form of a casserole. When cooking it, you'll layer the ingredients instead of just adding them all together. So in most cases, a gratin is also served as a side dish, never as a main. and has that signature crust that has to be... Well, granulated. Uh, this is why they are potato gratins, but very rarely a pasta gratin. However, lasagna, technically, is a gratin. So there you go. Uh, so let's go over some things you need to keep in mind. We call it Casseroles 101. Uh, right off the back, as we mentioned, the name of the casserole comes from... The casserole dish. So a good casserole starts with the proper baking dish. Now, there's a few different things to consider when deciding what type of dish to use with a casserole. For us, the dish you choose must be oven-proof. So that's why you have several baking dishes uh, in your cabinet. Uh, It could be cast iron, metal, glass, or ceramic. But you have to choose carefully between those listed. Metal pans. They heat up and cool down very quickly. So when you remove the casserole from the oven, the metal baking dish will cool fast so your casserole will not stay warm as you might want it to. So you could opt instead for a cast iron, a glass, or ceramic uh, dish. Now these materials do heat gradually as your casserole bakes. So they do a better job in retaining the heat, meaning your casserole stays warmer longer after it's been removed from the oven. And more so, the materials also heat more evenly, which is far more important. So the toppings should brown more evenly as well. In addition, make sure that the baking dish you choose is made from an oven-proof material that will heat evenly and retain the heat. And make sure it's not too small or too large for your baking needs. You notice when you follow a recipe, many do have pan size. And you may ignore that, but... You want to make sure that you don't in this uh, scenario. If you're developing your own recipe, too, 
Bottom line is don't overfill the baking dish. Why? Well, you have to leave space to account for, A, bubbling in the oven. You don't want to just spill over or an overflow into the oven as you cook. It'll be a mess. Uh, if you're adding a topping to your casserole towards the end of the baking process, you should also account for that when selecting your dish. Make sure your pan is the right size, and if you want to help on any sort of spillage worries, just add a sheet pan under the casserole dish to minimize your cleanup. Uh, speaking of the pan, another problem is not greasing the dish, so don't add ingredients to the baking pan before greasing it. If you skip that step when it comes time to serve the casserole, you're going to have trouble getting out of the pan. If it does come out, there may be some pieces stuck to the bottom. And, of course, uh, you're wasting food at that point, uh, And it won't be uh, as presentable on the plate. So when it comes to greasing the pan, you can often use cooking spray, oil, butter, shortening. Consider the overall taste and flavor of the casserole you're making to decide which type of fat to use. Pick one that will complement your flavor. And, uh, for example, you avoid butter. If you're making a healthier casserole, as the butter flavor may end up being more noticeable and out of place. Um, so what type of fat you decide on, rub or spray it over the entire surface of the pan and use a spoon to sprinkle a little flour over the pan as well. Then flip the dish over and shake off the excess. Um, overcooking pasta. Some casseroles require pasta. Overcooking pasta could be a problem. Macaroni, lasagna, other types of pasta are often called for. So if you're making a casserole with pasta, uh, ignore the cooking directions on the box. Instead, it's important to undercook. It's what you call par cooking. Uh, we'll mention a little more about that as we go through this list. But as the, the pasta uh, is added, it's going to be baked or cooked as well in the oven. So it'll continue to cook. So if it's already the right texture and consistency before you mix it with the other ingredients, it'll become overcooked once the casserole has finished baking. So it'll end up mushy. It'll end up messy. As a general rule, subtract two to three minutes from the cooking instructions printed on your pasta box. This will leave your pasta a little more firm when you combine it with the other ingredients in the dish. As a result, the casserole will be more presentable and more delicious to the bite. Uh, and speaking of, of par boiling as well, it's, uh, it, it's a problem if you're adding potatoes. There are some casseroles that call for uh, potatoes or uh, rice or grains, for instance. So the concept of what is called par boiling, which is basically what it sounds like, partially cooking is the big key. So if you want a cheesy potato casserole, such as a loaded baked potato casserole or any other recipe that uses um, a diverse potato, you have to first parboil it. Uh, and it's probably a, a step you have skipped in the past. Much like many crockpot cookers, just throw everything in at the same time. Uh, well, it's actually a bad idea to do so. If you use raw potatoes in your casserole, they'll still cook in the oven. But as a result, it'll be different than if you boiled them first. Uh, they are already partially cooked when parboiled. The oven simply works to make them soft and moist, crispy, depending on your recipe. So when they add it in raw, time spent in the oven will only be used to cook them through. If you want a crunchy potato crust, parboiling your spuds is the way to go. Uh, you'll see why it's so important when you don't end up taking a bite of overcooked vegetables and undercooked potato at the same time. Uh, parboiling speeds up the total cooking time as well, so your potatoes will cook it. Basically, you're going to do that with a lot of ingredients. 
And when you're sticking it in the oven, it's like a shepherd's pie. You make your mashed potatoes, you have your corn, and you brown your beef. And you put it together to heat it throughout. It's essentially what you're doing here with a casserole because shepherd's pie is a casserole. So it should be no different even if you're cubing it. Uh, and the same goes for vegetables. Not all vegetables cook at the same rate. So if you want to give some of them a head start by partially cooking... Good idea. Soft vegetables, broccoli, can be quickly par-cooked par uh, or blanched, as you will. If you're using hard vegetables, potatoes, carrots, or root vegetables, you want to par-cook for a longer period of time. Often a quick two to five minutes in the microwave will give them a good head start as well if you're looking for a quick fix. If you're using onions in your casserole, do yourself a favor and saute them for a few minutes. Deepen their flavor. You don't want that raw onion taste in your finished dish. Uh, and the pastas, the grains, the rices, again, uh, specifically for grains and pastas, risk the ingredients being on the crunchy side or al dente, added to a casserole. They soak up uh, too much moisture. So leave you with a casserole that it eats dry. Cook that pasta, cook the grains, four to five minutes shy um, uh, for the grains. And if, the same thing with the rice. You're going to undercook it a little bit. You can even use an ice bath or, or chill them under very cold run, running water uh, in between the parboiling or the parbaking and the casserole dish. What it'll do is just slow down the cooking process a bit so it doesn't overcook in your casserole either. You don't want that either. So uh, pre-cooking, you say, boy, it's a lot of work. Well, if you want the maximum result, cooking is all about the prep. Once it's in the oven, there's not much to do. Um, so again, making the, uh, the vegetables cook at the uh, same speed is, is an issue that people often believe, so par-cooking them is a good idea. But the more importantly, it's chopping your vegetables evenly. Even pieces mean even cooking. So first cut your vegetables on a cutting board, of course using shot quality knives, but eyeballing it can be different. Uh, so ha having evenly sized vegetables can make the casserole enjoyable to eat. Um, if you have some huge chunks and a few smaller pieces, they're just not going to cook the same. Some will be mush and some will be hard. Having evenly sized vegetables makes it uh, presentable as well as just better to the eyes. You don't want your guests feeling as if they need a knife to cut through a large piece of your casserole while the other ones are falling apart. Um, frozen vegetables in your casserole, not a wise choice in this situation. Um, when you open a bag of vegetables and you pour it into your casserole, what's going to happen is uh, the frozen vegetables, they start to, as they cook inside that water, that fluid, that gets frozen, releases. You can't get it out before it's cooked. So the moisture can give you a soupy, a soggy casserole. So, But if you still want to add frozen vegetables in casserole, just don't pour them into the mixture while they're frozen. Instead, put them in a colander and cook them, uh, no, excuse me, thaw them under uh, cool running water. Once they're thawed, you can put the vegetables on a paper towel or dishcloth, pat them dry with another towel, get that excess moisture out of the vegetable as much as you can before adding it to the casserole dish. Uh, you can also try pre-cooking, uh, as you say, par-cooking the vegetables in a skillet. But you, the frozen vegetables, 
they add a little extra water. Uh, adding meat before browning it could be a problem, just like we're talking about with the shepherd's pie. You don't add raw meat to your shepherd's pie. That's a casserole. You're not going to add raw meat to your casserole, to your ca- any casserole. Uh, you have to fully cook the meat to get flavor first and foremost. Uh, and you need to brown whatever the outer layer of the meats that you are using for. If you still you want the meat to absorb flavors and the other ingredients in the casserole, we get that. But that's easily done when the meat isn't fully cooked before joining the casserole. So, again, you're undercooking your meat, but you must brown that meat. Just like your crock pot, just like any dish you're making, brown that meat. Um, Not having to use toppings is shortchanging your casserole. Toppings give casseroles the taste and appearance of a nice upgrade. They bring that nice gold and brown color during the cooking process. Also adds a crispy, crunchy texture that pairs well with the softness of the rest of the dish. So there are a lot of options to choose from with toppings for casseroles, breadcrumbs, one of the more popular choices. You can make some with leftover bread, grab a package of seasoned or plain breadcrumbs from the store, whatever you want to do. If you want to try something different, you can sprinkle fried onions, bacon crumbles, cheese, potato chips even, or... Some combination of all flour on top of the casserole. But just remember, don't add the topping until you've already put the casserole in the oven. If you place it too far ahead of time, the ingredients will get soggy before they have a chance to bake. So if you want extra crispy topping, consider waiting until the casserole is nearly finished baking. And the toppings then go on and put the whole thing back in the oven under the broiler for a few minutes perhaps. And everything comes out crispy and golden brown. Uh, one factor that I was told, Dean, is you're going to be careful of, oven temperature. So be careful you're setting the temperature at the correct time. Don't guess. Make it right. Uh, casseroles, as a general rule, should be baked in an oven set between 350 and 400 degrees. If you're baking dishes deep or you have um, uh, a lot of meats in the mixture, 350 is probably the best temperature to use. It'll give the raw foods more time to cook uh, evenly and make sure they're not getting dried out as well. Preheat the oven. Very important step. Take the moment, preheat the oven. You don't want to make a mistake putting your casserole in the oven just before preheating it. So that tone can greatly vary on oven to oven, but it should only take between maybe 10 to 15 minutes. If there are a few reasons it's important to preheat the oven. First, uh, the recipe assumes the casseroles will be placed in a hot oven, so your cooking times will be way off. If you put your casserole in a cooler oven... It changes the required cooking time and can be hard to gauge when the product is really finished because you're doing guesswork on how long it took to preheat your oven to that temperature. So a very important step for food safety as well. Uh, now, this, this sounds silly, but people make the mistake opening your, your oven door too much. You're releasing the heat. The oven has to re- uh, reconnect, uh, reheat, if you will. So it greatly varies your cooking time and your cooking results. And remember, that's why there's a window on your oven. If you can't see through the window, the tip is clean the window of your oven. And if you still can't see inside your oven, put the oven light on. That's why it is there. Let your uh, casseroles cool. That's always important like any dish. You want the flavors to, you want the juices to return to the items. And you'll notice if there is any bubbly by letting your casserole rest, what will actually happen is the juices go back inside the food, which means so does the flavor. So also, if you cut it right away, it won't settle. It'll be soupy. It'll be messy. And it won't have the appearance of the casserole. Uh, as we move through our tips on recipe for a good day for your casserole, measure your ingredients carefully. 
that could greatly impact uh, the result of your dish as well. Uh, cover or uncover is the question of casseroles. And the answer can simply be both. Uh, what we have here is a general thought that, in general, you want to bake it covered with aluminum foil for most of the cooking time. Well, you're right. But much like your Thanksgiving turkey, you're not going to get the outside experience until you put it in the oven uncovered. But covering it helps lock in the moisture, prevents it from drying out. If you don't cover the casserole or uncover it too soon, it'll dry out. Uh, foil removed the last only few minutes of the baking process just to help the top of the casserole crisp up. And that's when you're obviously putting that topping on as well. Uh, the cheese crust isn't crispy, uh, uh, crispy like you want it. Remember, choose the right cheeses. Soft cheeses like mozzarella and gouda melt wonderfully and are wonderful. But if you want it crispy, you need to use a hotter cheese like perhaps a Parmesan cheese. Uh, if you want to uh, go the extra mile, you can mix in some breadcrumbs, roasted onions, or even chopped nuts. Thickeners and casseroles, they do go together. Uh, and if you notice your casseroles are coming out watery, your food isn't too much of a liquid, you need to soak up some of that fluid. So you can make a slurry, a slurry with a fringe on top, using flour in cold water, gradually add it to the casserole while the dish is cooking, as you notice it's bubbling. Um, cornstarch and water mixture would be okay, too. But one of the things I, I think I like best, especially if you're putting any sort of meats or something in the, in the casserole, uh, is to simply flour the protein in the casserole so that it combines with that extra fluid as it cooks. That's the one I look forward to uh, trying. I hadn't heard that thought until I researched it this week. Uh, uh, the uh, last few things here uh, on the casseroles involve move towards the idea of leftovers. Freezing the dish for next time. Uh, yes, there are a few tips. Number one, make sure that you're making enough uh, leftovers. Because leftovers is one of the, the best parts of any meal, and it can be for your dish as well. So that is going to greatly difference on if you want to uh, freeze your ingredients or not, is you having enough leftovers. And as you do freeze them, Make sure that you you have uh, uh, a a proper freezing container. Not all containers are made uh, for the freezing process. But what I've been doing at home lately is I've been combining the container with the freezer Ziploc bag to try to keep as much of that freezer burnout as well. So make plenty of leftovers for your casserole. You'll be glad you did. Well, let's get to an edition of Reynolds Wrap and see what's on Johnny's mind today. That Reynolds Wrap I hear, Betty? You betcha, Pat. Reynolds Wrap makes this whole cooking and cleanup thing so easy. Reynolds Wrap makes good food better. The great thing about Reynolds Wrap is it's the one wrap you can depend on. Just a little Reynolds Wrap can do more for a woman than any other wrap. Happy Valentine's Day, my fellow gastrophiles. Kudos to Red Taylor for that word. Our comfort food tour is a continuing reminder that winter isn't over just yet. And what better entree to serve you on this day when we acknowledge love in all its manifestations, including our amore for homemade delicacies such as Brunswick stew. Truly an American phenomenon. It's a tomato-based stew generally involving local beans, vegetables, and originally small game meat. 
The exact origin of the stew is disputed. The states of Virginia and Georgia both claim its birth, with Brunswick County in Virginia and the city of Brunswick in Georgia claiming it was developed there. Recipes for Brunswick stew greatly vary, but it's usually a tomato-based stew containing various types of lima beans, corn, okra, other vegetables, and one or more types of meat. Originally, it was small games such as squirrel, rabbit, or opossum meat, but today commonly used as chicken. Squirrel Brunswick stew instructions are found in James Beard's American Cookery, one of any cookbook collector's must-haves. Now, before I delve into any Brunswick stew recipe prospects, allow me to share some vital information. Hmm, vital information? Kind of sounds like a jazz band. Well, we'll study the science of all stews, Brunswick stew included. Now, a major question has risen pertaining to all stews. Is it really better tasting the next day? Most of this concern has a lot to do with the activation of the spices and or herbs in the overall dish. That's a phrase you hear a lot. This stew, soup, long-cooked thing, whatever, will be even better the next day. It's an appealing prospect. Most foods are best when they're at their freshest. But... A dish you can make in one large batch that doesn't just hold up but actually improves with time? That's a make-on-Sunday-eat-all-week recipe if I ever heard one. But still, is it true? Does stew really taste better when you reheat it the next day or even days later? I had to do some testing to find out. It took some time, but it can be done. Long story short, as my fellow Italians would say, forget about it. There is a bit of an intro before I get to the results, so I'll give the quick version right here. Yes, there are some minor differences in flavor with soups and stews that have been allowed to rest overnight or longer, though the differences are subtle and difficult to tease apart. It's nothing worth altering your cooking schedule for. Chili and other spicy, acidic dishes are the big exception. With time, their flavor becomes muted, losing brightness. But then again, if you're planning on making that big batch of chili on Sunday to eat through the week, that loss in flavor is nothing a little dash of hot sauce can solve on Wednesday or Thursday. Testing the effects of aging was a little more difficult. My initial thought was to simply make multiple batches of soups and stews. I'd make one batch on Monday, store it in the fridge, then make a second batch on Thursday and serve it along Monday's batch. Problem is, is only my wife and I knows a lot left over. And that the stew that I'm making on Thursday is not the same stew I made on Monday. There are so many variables, even if you carefully weigh out everything and use a timer to ensure that the cooking times are identical, the inherent differences are, hard as the National Cattlemen's Association may try to deliver a uniform product, each steer still has a unique beast with slightly different flavors and textures. The onion that I used to cook on Thursday is three days older than the onion I used on Monday. The kitchen itself might be a little warmer or cooler. You get the drift? Good. Then I considered a second opinion. Make a simple batch of stew on Monday, freeze half of it, then thaw that half on Thursday and taste them side by side. Here are some problems too. Freezing can alter the texture of meat and vegetables and it can also break down emulsions, turning a smooth, luscious sauce grainy or greasy. You don't want that. This method also presupposes that whatever may be happening to stew as it ages in the fridge completely halts in the freezer. Now, neither method is really perfect. Between the two of them, I figured I could get some answers, but after a single round of testing, I had none. It was kind of difficult to tell the difference. With the stew, the beef itself tasted nearly identical. The carrots, potatoes, and onions did seem to take on a little more flavor from the broth and become a little sweeter. It was a subtle difference. I'd be also hard-pressed to tell you if it was necessarily better. I guess it all depends on your opinion. The only case in which there was notable difference was with the chili, where the older batches were distinctly more rounded and mellow in flavor. 
As far as chili goes, that's not necessarily a good thing. Where I expect brightness and heat to stand up to the roasted flavor of dried chilies and the richest of this thick stew. All right, so here are some minor differences. So what's causing them? A stew sitting in the fridge might look stagnant, but on a molecular level, there's plenty of stuff going on in that pot. And I'm not talking about something abstract like marrying of flavors. According to Cook's Illustrated Food Scientist, Guy Crosby... There are measurable changes in sweetness and complex carbohydrates such as fructose from vegetables or lactose from dairy and starches break down into sweeter tasting simple sugars. Just as resting cookie dough, bread dough, or pizza dough overnight allows large proteins to break down into smaller chains, the same things happen in stews and soups. Finally, taste is not something we sense on the tongue or in the nose. It's a complex interaction of outside sensory stimuli and our own internal memories and perceptions. Simply thinking something should taste better can actually make it taste better. I'm not suggesting you get romantically involved with your bisto, but I think you know what I mean. So after all this testing and tasting, I came to one conclusion. It does not matter. Without the context of a side-by-side taste test, no one's ever going to tell you, Hey, this stew is only three years old. I prefer mine three days old, okay? Fact is, no matter what long simmered stew or soup you're making, if it tastes good on the first day, it's going to taste good on the second and third days as well. The minor differences in eating it fresh versus eating it aged are not worth belly aching over. Making your stews at home is welcome anytime. For a recipe for a good day, sponsored by Little General Stores, I'm Johnny Reynolds, and that's a wrap. Reynolds Wrap. Wouldn't you hate to be without it? Oh, fooey. I forgot to listen to Recipe for a Good Day. How do I go shopping now? What's on sale this week? I don't know what to feed Funky the Monkey. Well, Anna Marie, we have you covered all at LilGeneral.com. That's where you can find out what's on sale this week at all Little General locations. And now can listen to past editions of Recipe for a Good Day. Just go to LilGeneral.com. You'll see the tab for the weekly flyer. Click that. You'll see the specials this week at all Little General locations. And at the bottom of the page, you'll see the link to listen to Recipe for a Good Day. So if you miss a show or are unable to write down a recipe, now you can go listen anytime at your time at LilGeneral.com. exactly what we have for you right now. We have some brand new recipes. Well, maybe not brand new recipes, but they are recipes revolving in our world of casseroles on Recipe for a Good Day today. There are so many types of casseroles. We're not even going to be able to give you one of every category. Of course, you have your breakfast casseroles. You have your side dish casseroles. You have rice casseroles, noodle casseroles, vegetable casseroles, healthy casseroles. Seafood casseroles, beef casseroles, turkey, pork, chicken, breakfast, uh, we mentioned breakfast, excuse me, vegetarian um, main dishes, not just side dishes, tuna casseroles. This is very popular today for some reason. People love their tater tots. Well, you can have a tater tot casserole uh, and Mexican casseroles, but of course, we mentioned probably the most popular one, shepherd's pie. 
In fact, if you go to lowgeneral.com and check out past editions of Low General's Recipe for a Good Day, or you're on Spotify and you can check out past editions as well, or Google Podcast. There's so many ways to get Recipe for a Good Day. Uh, you can just put it in your search bar for any of them. And you'll see the red little general lettering, and you know that's us. We did a whole show on shepherd's pie and different variations and, and what they're called. So uh, we're not going to spend too much time here, actually any time, talking about shepherd's pie. There's an entire show we did devoted for it. I encourage you to go look for it. Um, but we are going to do this. Just to give an example, let's go over... Um, Breakfast casseroles, yes, a wonderful way. Uh, breakfast should be more than a bowl of cereal and toast. Now, we understand during the work week, between school, between work, things are busy. But on the weekend, spruce it up. Do something different. A little breakfast casserole. Let's do a simple egg and sausage casserole with eight ounces of bulk pork sausage, three tablespoons of butter divided, two tablespoons of all-purpose flour, one quarter teaspoon of salt, a quarter teaspoon of black pepper, and one and a quarter cups of milk. In addition, you're going to need two cups of frozen hash brown potatoes thawed, two eggs hard-cooked and sliced, a half cup of cornflake crumbs, and a quarter cup of sliced green onions. Four easy steps here. Preheat the oven to 350 degrees. You're going to spray a two-quart baking dish with nonstick cooking spray. Brown sausage in a large skillet over medium-high heat, six to eight minutes, stirring to break up the meat. Transfer to the paper towel-lined plate. Drain the fat out. Melt two tablespoons of butter in the same skillet over medium heat. Don't change skillets because you're losing flavor. Stir in the flour, the salt, the pepper until smooth. Add in the milk. Cook and stir until it's thickened. Add the sausage, the potatoes, the eggs. The uh, combination is stirred until it's blended. And then pour it into a prepared baking dish and wipe out the skillet with paper towel. Melt the remaining one tablespoon of butter in the same skillet. Again, over low heat. Cornflake crumbs are added, and then stir until it's blended very briefly, sprinkle over the casserole. So bake it for 30 minutes in the oven until it's hot and bubbly, again at 350 degrees in a preheated greased baking casserole dish, then just sprinkle on the green onions. Uh, You're not into sausage and eggs? Well, how about a nice apple cinnamon French toast casserole? Doesn't that sound absolutely delightful? And it's not hard to make either. Here you go. One large loaf of French bread. And you're going to cut that into one and a half inch slices. Three and a half cups of milk. Nine eggs. Take them out back, but just lightly beat them. Uh, One and a half cups of granulated sugar divided. One tablespoon of vanilla. A half teaspoon of salt. You're going to use six to eight baking apples, depending on their size. Now, we can use the uh, Macintosh or Cortland apple. Peel and slice them. Uh, One teaspoon of ground cinnamon, a half teaspoon of ground nutmeg, and, of course, it wouldn't be French toast without powdered sugar, right? It's an option, but why opt out? Spray down your nonstick cooking spray on your casserole dish. Arrange the bread slices in a single layer in the dish. And then whisk the milk, the eggs, the granulated sugar, the vanilla, the salt in a large bowl until it's well blended. And pour only half of that mixture over the bread. Now, on top of that, you're going to layer the apple slices over the bread. Pour in the remaining half of the egg mixture over the apples. 
Then you can combine the remaining one half of granulated sugar, cinnamon, and nutmeg in a small bowl. And you're just going to sprinkle it over the casserole. And you can cover and refrigerate it overnight. You want that to set in. Then preheat the oven to 350 degrees, and you're going to bake it uncovered for one hour until it's set. Sprinkle with the powdered sugar if desired, and you're best off doing it the night before. This way in the morning, it's just stick it in the oven, and you can enjoy your apple cinnamon French toast casserole. And that's one uh, I came across. I haven't tried it, but I'm looking forward to utilizing it this weekend. So, yes, you can have breakfast casseroles. Um, side dishes. Not even a main dish. Side dishes uh, are very popular. Uh, we know the green bean casserole. But did you know that you can have an asparagus casserole? Or a roasted butternut squash and spinach casserole? Uh, but one we're going to give out here, is it's a superfood, is a loaded sweet potato casserole. Not only is it gorgeous, but great texture as well. Uh, prep time, 20 minutes. It's going to cook for about an hour and 40. Uh, and the great thing about casseroles is grateful. It's like it serves, uh, you can serve large families with it. Uh, so here we go. The ingredients. One large orange fleshed sweet potato. About three and a half to four pounds. Four large orange flesh sweet potatoes. About three and a half to four pounds. One pound of thick cut bacon cut into half inch pieces. Two teaspoons of kosher salt, a half teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper, one teaspoon of smoked paprika, one large egg, take it out back and beat it, uh, a half cup of sour cream, and you're going to want a little more for serving as well, three-quarter cup of green onions, you're going to want a little more for serving as well, and six ounces of sharp cheddar cheese, and it must be shredded. Preheat the oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit, 200 degrees Celsius, if you're one of those European listeners. And I know for some reason, around 18% of our podcast is in Germany. So, hello, Germany. I guess it's nice to have you with us. Uh, line a baking sheet with foil and place the sweet potatoes on the baking sheet and prick them all over with a sharp knife. And then you're going to bake in that preheated oven, again at 400, until tender with the uh, pierce of a knife. It's about an hour. And you're going to let it sit cool enough to handle. Uh, don't turn off your oven, though. You're not done with it yet. Place the bacon in a cold pan over medium-high heat and cook it until that fat begins to render, stir, and reduce that heat to medium. Uh, and then you can continue to cook it, stirring it occasionally until the fat is fully rendered out of that bacon and it's brown and fully cooked. Then you're going to drain off the bacon fat and reserve it for another use. Don't throw that flavor out. Scoop the sweet potatoes into a mixing bowl. Discard the skins. Use a spoon to break the chunks of sweet potato into smaller chunks or more uniform pieces. The texture can be smooth or coarse, depending on what you like. Uh, then add the salt, the black pepper, the smoked paprika, uh, the egg, the sour cream, green onions, half the reserved bacon, and two-thirds of that cheese. Stir together and everything becomes finely mixed. Then distribute the mixture evenly into a shallow two-quart baking dish, but leave the surface roughly textured. Scatter it with the remaining bacon, followed by the remaining cheese. Now the baking process in that preheated oven. And again, the uh, temperature we're using here is 400 degrees. Uh, you are going to uh, top 
uh, brown the top of it. The casserole becomes heated throughout, probably in about 30, 35 minutes. You'll notice it bubbling around the edges. Uh, you can let it rest. You can serve it with more sliced green onions or sour cream if it's desired. A wonderful recipe there for uh, loaded sweet potato casserole. But there's millions of casserole dishes. And what's beautiful about casseroles is you can even make up your own. Uh, we're going to get to some a few main dish casserole recipes to close out the program after this segment of Seasonings Greetings. And now, it's time for Seasonings Greetings, a segment dedicated to all things that add flavor to our favorite food. And here is your host of Seasonings Greetings, the Sage of Stroganoff, the Baron of Barbecue, the Prince of Piccata, Johnny Reynolds Jr. How many of you remember the TV talent show from Channel 4 years ago called Community Auditions? It began with a jingle that began thusly. Star of the day, who will it be? Your vote may hold the key, it's up to you. Tell us who will be star of the day. What an appropriate ditty to bring to your city an unusual spice that smells so pretty. Star anise is a medium-sized evergreen tree native to northeast Vietnam and south China. It's a spice that closely resembles anise and licorice in flavor and is obtained from the star-shaped pericarbs of the fruit iverum, which are harvested just before ripening. Star anise oil is a highly fragrant oil used in cooking, perfumes, soaps, toothpastes, mouthwashes, and skin creams. Star anise contains anthol, the same compound that gives anise an unrelated plant its flavor. Star anise has come to use in the West as a less expensive substitute for anise in baking, as well as in liquor production, most distinctively in the production of the liquor Galliano. Star anise enhances the flavor of meat. It's also used in the French recipe of mulled wine. If allowed to steep in coffee, it deepens and enriches the flavor. The pods can be used in this manner multiple times by the pot full or cup as the ease of extraction of the taste components increases with the permeation of hot water. Star anise has a distinct licorice flavor similar to that of fennel, though it's not related to either of these spices. It pairs well with coriander, cinnamon, cardamom, and clove. In cooking, star anise can be used whole or as a powder. Now, some time ago, I related to a YouTube video of psycho chef Gordon Ramsay as he prepares basmati rice using cardamom pods and star anise to flavor it. Here are some of the classical combinations featuring star anise. Citrus fruits, coffee, pineapple, mint, carrot, figs, coconut, and melons are all very successful pairings. Traditional Chinese practices utilize star anise to improve blood circulation while lowering overall blood pressure. Anise seed and star anise come from two entirely different plants with origins in different parts of the world. Both do have a similar flavor profile because they share the essential oil anathol, although star anise is considered more bitter and herbaceous. Star anise is used similarly to bay leaves in Vietnamese and Chinese cuisine. When used whole, star anise pods are simmered in soups, stews, and braises. Like, you know, Brunswick stew. And like a bay leaf, star anise is usually removed and discarded from the dish before serving. Whole and ground star anise are used differently in cooking. The whole pods are added to braised dishes, soups, and stews to infuse flavor and are removed at the end of the cooking process. Ground star anise powder is used primarily to other ground spices. Powdered star anise begins to lose its flavor shortly after it's ground up, so the best method is to buy whole star anise and grind it yourself. The pods and seeds can be ground together. 
Store both whole or ground spice in the airtight container away from moisture, heat, and sunlight. Whole star anise will remain fresh and vibrantly flavored for about one year, whereas the ground spice will begin to lose flavor after about six months. Toasting the ground spice before using it sometimes heightens the flavor. Star anise is also one of the curing spices for corned beef, which we will discuss next month. Let's get back now to more Recipe for a Good Day on WNRI. I'm Johnny Reynolds. Salami, Tommy Give it the gravy, Davy Everybody eats when they come to my house Try a tomato plate too Here's cacciatore, Dory Taste the bologna, Tony Everybody eats when they come to my house All right, we hope they're eating casseroles That's what's on the menu today We have time um, maybe for one or two easy casserole recipes. It doesn't get easier than a tuna casserole, and you can have tuna casserole during the Lenten season, so it fits for your Friday needs as well. Uh, we're going to start with a 12-ounce package of egg noodles. I'm going to continue on with two cans of condensed cream of mushroom soup for the best tuna casserole here. Uh, two cups of shredded cheddar cheese, divided. Two five-ounce cans of tuna drained. One cup of frozen green peas. Well, one half of a 4.5-ounce uh, can of sliced mushrooms, a quarter cup of chopped onions, and one cup of crushed potato chips for a little crispy topping. So get all your ingredients together, fill a large pot with the lightly salted water, and bring it to a rapid boil. And that's where you're going to cook your egg noodles. Again, undercook them, drain them out. Meanwhile, preheat that oven to 425 degrees. About, uh, about we're going to go 400 uh, degrees, I think, here. I don't think you need the 425, uh, as the recipe says. And again, casseroles are best cooked between 350 and 400. Mix the noodles, condensed uh, soup, the one cup of cheese, the tuna, the peas, the mushrooms, and the onions in a large bowl until it's well combined. And then transfer it to your baking dish, your greased baking dish. Uh, you're going to top the mixture with the crushed potato chips and the remaining one cup of cheese. And then bake it in that preheated oven again at 400 so the cheese is bubbly, roughly 15 to 20 minutes. Serve it and enjoy. Let it rest. Uh, another uh, quick one for uh, the Lenten season, creamy shrimp casserole. One pound of shrimp peeled and deveined. One teaspoon of salt. Three cups of wide egg noodles. Two tablespoons of butter. Uh, one half tablespoons of all-purpose flour. Uh, two one half uh, two and a half cups of milk, a half cup of heavy cream, salt to ground black pepper to taste, one cup of frozen green peas thawed, one four point five ounce can again of sliced mushrooms drained, uh, one cup of crushed buttery round crackers that's going to give you a crispy top on this one, and a tablespoon of cold butter thinly sliced. One preheat that oven three hundred fifty degrees. You're going to grease that casserole dish, three-quart casserole dish. You're going to fill that large pot with water. You're going to bring it to a boil over high heat. Stir in the shrimp. Reduce that heat to a simmer and cook it until the shrimp uh, becomes that bright pink color. About three minutes or so. Remove the shrimp to a bowl with a slotted spoon. 
return the water of full uh, rolling boiler raw heat and stir in your noodles. Again, same water. Why? Get rid of the flavor. Cook it until the noodles are tender in about eight minutes. Drain it uh, just before they're tender. So go about uh, five to six minutes, actually. Uh, it's amazing how many uh, casserole recipes break the rules of casserole. Uh, drain and set it in the sink. At that point, melt two tablespoons of butter in a saucepan over medium heat. Stir in the flour into the butter and make a paste. Remove the pan from the heat. Slowly whisk in the milk and cream until it's smooth. Season the taste with salt and black pepper. and Return the sauce to a heat. Lower that heat to a simmer and whisk it constantly until the sauce thickens in about five minutes. Place the noodles in a prepared casserole dish, top with peas, mushrooms, and cooked shrimp, and then pour that sauce over the casserole, sprinkling the crushed cracker crumbs evenly over the top. Dot the top of the casserole with about maybe five thin slices of butter, and then in the oven it goes. Bake in that preheated oven until the cracker topping becomes crisp and golden brown, and enjoy, roughly about an hour or so, enjoy your shrimp. Creamy shrimp casserole. Two casseroles you can make during your Lenten season. And that brings recipe for a good day for a close. Thank you for being with us on your recipe for a good day Wednesday.